Albums That Changed My Life is a spinoff of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. It is a, a podcast where I, Brian, from Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, talk about albums that made me think differently about music, albums that I rank among my favorites of all time. Now, the great thing about this discussion is that music is subjective, and, you know, everybody feels a little differently about an album, and it may be affected by the time when you heard it. That's often brought up, right? Like when you're a teenager, when you're a certain age, music never is going to sound better than that time, and you're always going to be chasing that dragon. Maybe, maybe not. I think there's some validity to that argument, but I would say there's definitely plenty of albums I've heard as an adult that I rank among the best. But, you know, there's also just the people you were with, the places you went, the weather when you heard the record, right? All sorts of things come together, but ultimately, I think music fans like me and probably you, if you're listening to this, want to believe that there is magic in the music, right? There's something above and beyond all of those things I just listed that makes an album resonate with someone. And so this is a chance to explore some of those songs and albums that have stuck with me personally. And so the one I wanted to bring today is an album that may not be as stereotypical as some of the records that we're that I discuss when we do these episodes, right? Stuff that you would sort of expect, right? I mean, we've done one about a U2 record. But there's a band that I love so much from Canada called Our Lady Peace. Now, a lot of American rock fans know Our Lady Peace. It's interesting. Even my wife recently was like, you consider Our Lady Peace one of your top three favorite bands? And I, yeah, I mean, they, they've firmly been in spot three for most of my life. People who listen to this show know it's Counting Crows, Third Eye Blind, and Our Lady Peace, right? And yeah, some of that probably has to do with my age, I'll admit it. But Our Lady Peace, on that list, in my opinion, out of all of those bands, has actually made, when you like look at the the albums, the whole discography of those bands, Our Lady Peace has three great albums. Three really, really, really strong all the way through that I would put in my Hall of Fame albums. No other band has that many entries into my Hall of Fame. I can't, if I'm asked to pick my favorite Counting Crows record, it's pretty easy. Third Eye Blind, same way. All of my other favorite bands and songwriters and, and people like Josh Ritter, and uh, Switchfoot and other bands you might hear me talk about, I can pretty easily point to an album or two in their discography. There are three in a dead heat for me with Our Lady Peace. And I'm actually, if I if I had to power rank those three and was forced to pick, this would be the third of the three. But I, I think this is an interesting album to talk about because of where it happens and hits in their history. And Our Lady Peace in general is an interesting band to talk about if you've never listened to them because... They have done a lot of contemplating the world and the future and what the future looks like. That's a driving force behind their artistic output, especially for a certain period of their output. And Healthy and Paranoid Times, the album that I want to talk about, is so interesting to me because of the fact that it hits in a weird spot in their career. And it is actually... When, when you look at the other albums, a couple in particular, in their discography that really deal with what is the future going to be like, this is actually, it's not as apparent that, that that is what this album is about as well, right? And, and so it, it's sort of less overt, but 
just as effective, especially I was just really struck by this recently listening to it again. This is a this is a great road trip record for me. So if I'm ever on the road and I'm in charge of the stereo by myself or with my kids, usually it doesn't fly if the wife's in the car. But this is one of the records I like to put on and listen to front to back on the interstate. I did this. I was helping my brother move across the country a few years ago, and I was driving one of his vehicles from upstate New York to Kentucky. That's a long way. And I was listening through my favorite albums in the car by myself. It was very therapeutic and pretty amazing experience to drive across America and listen to your favorite records. But this record just, it, there is something about the sort of the, I, I think the animating driving force of it that makes it a really good road record, at least in my opinion. So we're going to listen through it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of this record because it, just the making of it is interesting. The the period of the band in which it happens is interesting. What it does to the band is interesting. But let's first get started with the music itself. So yeah, this record comes out in 2005. As you're going to learn, it wasn't supposed to. It was supposed to come out years before that. Also, another interesting thing about this album, and I do have a version of this record, I believe, that is in this format. It's one of the few albums. Now, look at that time, 2005. This comes out in August of 05. This was a time period where record labels had jointly come together, a handful of the biggest ones, and decided on a technology that they had created called Dual Disc. If you are of a certain age, you might have a few of these, or you used to have a few of these. Man, they were overweight frisbees. They were not great, and they didn't last. I've actually contemplated doing an episode specifically about dual disc technology, but the problem is there's not there's not that much out there about it. They're trying to bury it. You know, it's just, it was not a success. And part of what makes it even more interesting is there were several companies and people competing to sort of nail this technology. The idea being that, that it was harder to copy, uh, but it also added incentive and value to the, to the disc, right? Because you could put like, for instance, this Our Lady Peace record comes out with a documentary about the making of the album on one side of it. So it's a DVD and a CD. Problem is, unless you had a pretty new CD player, in a lot of cases, it wouldn't work correctly. And so I remember in my sweet 2003 Saturn that I drove, I could not get these to work. And it's always important to me to listen to stuff in the car. I just described driving across the country listening to this record, right? Not being able to listen to this record in the car. Detrimental. Not good. Uh, so, you know, obviously, it's not a big deal now, but this is a fun, interesting side note because this album asks at one point if the future will save us. It's, it's actually the name of a song. And, or will the future blame us is the name of the song. But the question is asked, like, what is the future going to do for us? What is it going to think of us? Where are we headed, right, in 2005? And there's observations made and there's an anxiety in these songs, not just that one, but throughout the record, that is informed a little bit through their history from an earlier record they did with a futurist. And they've done two records now with Ray Kurzweil, who actually makes predictions about the future. So this is a, this is a fascination for them. But they're making these predictions. They're asking these questions about the future. And they're, they're exhibiting, you know, now it's a cultural artifact that exhibits 
what the future didn't embrace, right? Which is this technology that they, that is that is being tried by the record label around the release of this record. There's just a lot of little pieces of history. Let's start at the beginning. I love the opening track of this record. It is called Angels Losing Sleep. This is the first track on Healthy and Paranoid Times by Our Lady Peace. Looks like the Holy Ghost is gone Now you're afraid of yourself Over your shoulder you have to watch Heaven fall into hell Looks like you're about to sink So it's time to prepare Even the angels are losing sleep And the side walks up there It's like the calm Like it's calm before it's warm It'll get back here again And I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait I've tried to remember how I first encountered this band And I'm pretty sure it was from All Rock Radio in the mid-90s if you've heard of them and you don't know much about them, it's very likely that what you remember about this band is a song called Clumsy. And that is still an absolute banger. If you've not refreshed your memory about that song recently, I would highly recommend that you do it. Uh, and I, I remember just being sort of fascinated by it and at, at a pretty young age getting that record. Now, that, that record isn't my favorite of theirs. Uh, it's not in the in the trifecta of the three almost perfect records that they've put out, in my opinion. It's good. It's really good. It's probably the fourth, but there's a darkness to it. There's a there's sort of this maudlin thing that, that, that they do early in their career, and it, it carries over into the record after that a bit, but then they get into this sort of fascination with the future on a record called Spiritual Machines, and then they put out an album called Gravity. And that record is the record that breaks them in the U.S. more because there is a song called Somewhere Out There. Now, I said earlier, you probably know, Clumsy, depending on how old you are and what style of music you were listening to at the time, it might be somewhere out there that you know. It's like a ballad. It's almost like a power ballad. It's a good song, and I like it. But... Gravity is my least favorite record by this band. Maybe. I don't know. I never really got into the very first record, but that was more just a timing thing. Uh, so anyway, I I remember it solidifying, though, not over the clumsy stuff. It was my friend in high school, Lee, had a big case of CDs in his car and I would get in there and this is what I did if you hung out with me in high school is I asked to see your CD booklet. This was like the litmus test, right? And so I would go through and and, ch- and I saw this. I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of Our Lady Peace but I hadn't heard of this record. This is the record that comes out after Clumsy 
and it's called Happiness is Not a Fish You Can Catch. And that record really did change the way I thought about music quite a bit. And that's why when I thought about what album are we going to discuss on one of these episodes, you know, Happiness is a really, really amazing record. And, but it's still got some of this maudlin darkness that, that Clumsy has. What I find interesting about this band is the optimism they choose on this record, Healthy and Paranoid Times. Because th- this is like, again, Healthy and Paranoid Times is fascinating to me because this comes after Gravity, after they've had top 40 success in America. And they actually, so Gravity comes out in 02. And on the tour for Gravity is when they start writing the songs for Healthy and Paranoid Times. And if you learn anything about this, this basically stretches out for years and years. And they write between 40 and 50 songs for this album. And a a spoiler alert, there's only 12 on the record. (laughs) And it becomes a, a conversation, an ongoing conversation in the band that almost destroys them as to what this record will really be right at the end because they've created all these things, but they can't agree on which ones they like the most together. But one of the songs that makes it and one of my favorite songs on the record is, I mean, honestly, I like pretty much every song on this record, but this is a song called will the future blame us. And it is one of the most overt examples of what I'm talking about when I say, this conversation with this fascination about the future that defines this band. And I'll talk more a little bit about that in in a moment, but this is will the future blame is track two on healthy and paranoid times. Clumsy comes out, and then Happiness is Not a Fish You Can Catch comes out. And I, I get that from my buddy Lee. I think I eventually just stole it from him. I think we've talked about this since then. Uh, and then they put out the record, Spiritual Machines. Spiritual Machines, I was I was amped when it came out. I really wanted a copy of it. I worked at Sonic through most of my high school career. And, yes, a Sonic drive-thru. I, I was typically in the drive-thru. Sometimes they let me put on, well, I didn't get to wear roller skates. But I did wear shoes and go out and deliver food to folks, which was typically something they only let teenage girls do. But I was burning the French fries, so they let me do it too. And you could make tips. It was pretty dope. But I had gotten to be friends with, and I've I've written about this before, about this guy, Gary, who hired me at this 
Sonic Drive-In and was very influential in sort of helping me find my own work ethic and understanding the value of, of building something up. And he, he kind of had this whole narrative that he told about how he had nothing and then he got this franchise and he had built it into something and he had this family with these cute twin girls and this wife who would come up and, you know, they'd give food and we'd go out and see and we all knew the family. Anyway, when I left to go to college, he offered to take me out to Mexican food, just he and I, just as a send-off. And at this lunch, he gave me a gift card. I believe it wasn't even to a record store. I think it was to the mall. Give me like a gift certificate. And I promptly went out and bought Spiritual Machines because I needed to have a copy of it. And Spiritual Machines is literally Our Lady Peace setting to music ideas from a futurist named Ray Kurzweil. If you know much about futurism, you know about him. If you don't, look him up. Interesting dude. So fast forward to a couple of years ago, they put out a sequel to this record, Spiritual Machines 2. And it opens with Ray Kurzweil saying that in Spiritual Machines 1, he made a certain number of predictions. I forget how many it is, like 30 predictions or something. And like 28 of them had come true. I'm making up the numbers, but it was, it was startling. It was like that much. This was in the year 2000. So the year 2000, he makes these predictions. Over the next two decades, m- most of them were correct in terms of how we as a society developed with technology, because that's really what it was about. And so then he goes on in this new record to make like another however many predictions. And, you know, that's just terrifying. I don't want to listen to those if I know this guy's got a track record like that, right? I don't I don't necessarily want to know. But Spiritual Machines comes out in 2000. In 2002, they make Gravity, which is a departure from this cerebral academic experiment of like we're a rock band but we're also hanging out with this guy who's going to tell us about how robots are going to take over the world and and it like there's this weird sci-fi element but not like in a rush way just like in a we're talking about ai and so healthy and paranoid times is this really interesting sort of reconciliation between a straight ahead rock record and this band sort of reclaiming this subject matter that they'd abandoned in 2002 to go full on pop and be on top 40 radio stations. And so it, it's just it, all, all the way around. I, I think that's an interesting part of this story because I think the band feels the pressure after they've had this American breakthrough and they, they were pretty big already in Canada, but we've talked a lot about this on the show just because you're big in Canada doesn't mean you're big in the States. And so to make this headway in the States and go out with rock bands, I mean, I honestly think the only time I've seen Our Lady Peace was about 10 minutes of the end of a set opening for Three Doors Down in the early 2000s because that was what they were doing at that time if they were going to come stateside. They were supporting big mainstream rock acts. And I had tickets to see them in a club, a historic club, Kane's Ballroom, Shouts, in Tulsa in the early 2000s and was not able, something happened. I think they canceled the show. I don't think it was an issue on my end. I think they canceled the show. So I, I've like never really seen them headline. I've got DVDs, the whole nine, man. I'm telling you, I love this band. But this is all part of the, the story, right? Is this band trying to figure out who they are. And so they make all these songs, and they work with Bob Rock, and then they just fight. And at some point it said... It said that during the recording of this record, they everybody quits at least once, including the lead singer. We've not talked about Rain. Rain Miata is the lead singer of this band, and he has a very 
specific sounding voice. So you either like it or you don't. I know there's plenty of people that probably don't like this band because of his voice. I love it. Uh, but it is very singular. And he has sort of become the definitive factor in this band because that voice is so recognizable. And even he quits at one point, like fires Bob Rock and quits. It's a whole thing. And then they get back together and have this sort of like healing period where they, they try to be more collaborative, but they still end up with 40 something songs that they have to widow down to 12. And one of the, one of the 12 that makes it is this song called picture. And this was actually one of the songs that when you hear them talk about creating this record, they say there was about, there were like three songs they had that they never let go of that from the very early planning stages and like starting in Oh two, there were three songs that were sort of the definitive songs for this record that never strayed. And picture is one of those tunes. even in the production and the way they double his voice, how specific his voice becomes in defining this band and their sound. Uh, So the song they lead off with when this goes to Canadian and American radio is a song called Where Are You? And Where Are You is a great tune uh, that is also very fun to drive to, but it, it, it just, it comes in hot and then... Midway through, it just completely explodes. Hey, you, have you felt like this before? You got style, but ain't got soul. Are you happy now? Are you happy tonight? I did punk rock, get it right. Is there no future inside? Oh, is it different now? Is it different? Come on. I highly recommend you looking up that song and listening to it all the way through because the bridge at the end is maybe my favorite moment on the record, but I'm not going to go to it here because I just want to give you a taste 
Uh, but it, yeah, oh, it's so good. Uh, so interesting. Another interesting side note about this record is that you know they're they're very thoughtful about what they're doing conceptually. Like I said, they've they've done these like sort of concept albums before, and so. When it comes to the album art, they hire a guy. They, they find a painter in Dallas, an artist named Grant Smith. And Grant Smith actually does, uh, I believe he does several uh, different ideas for the album cover. And they end up with this one, if you've seen this album cover, of a man sitting on a chair facing the wall. You only see his back. And, you know, th- this is this is a, a statement about this. We talked about the world we live in and the issues that face our culture, issues such as political propaganda, sensationalist media, blind faith, and micro-macroism were a few of the things we discussed, and we like the idea of a man with his back turned to the world in a white, blank room. And it, it, it is, there is something sort of startling about this, right? Because you, you're not sure when you look at this if the guy is, like, what exactly is going on, right? What's, what, is he in a mental institution? Or is he just sort of blissed out on his own? And that was very purposeful. All of all of these elements were purposeful. They, Like I said, they belabored this thing for years. Started working on it at the end of 02. And it was 2005 when they put it out. This is the fifth track. It's called Wipe That Smile Off Your Face. Rain's been pretty open. This is about George W. Bush. It's just the two of us. A silver cross And some strength that you won't believe See, I'm not your friend And I won't pretend That I've come here for peace Well, I'm not afraid I'm gonna make you pay I'm gonna wipe that smile off your face And this is war Something else notable about this record is that the first four records that this band puts out has actually the same dude on it. It's a model named Saul Fox. So if you followed this band at all, you could probably think of those records and what they look like, right? So when they do the uh, Decades collection, basically their greatest hits, they'll have that same model emulate this painting. And, and do a live-action shot of this. But he is he is not on this record, though he's on most of their beginning ones. Uh, track six is a song called Love and Trust. Mother, will you think of me in your prayer? Try and fix it, but it breaks. 
Another thing they've always done well is this false chorus thing where they lead up. You, you do the bridge. You think you're hitting a chorus. They go back and do the verse again. It, it's a it's a bit of a trick that oh, really works on my brain. Because especially once you've heard the song and you know what's coming, the anticipation of it all is it's it's a sweet reward, you know, when it finally hits. Uh, track seven on this record is a track called Boy. You know what I mean? They kind of do it there too. It's it's you know it's a false chorus. It's a it's a tease. I love it. Uh, track eight. It's a tune called Apology. Again, think about all of the the phraseology, the things you hear them say. These songs are, are very much just animated. Even though most of them are upbeat, they're animated by this anxiety about the future. You. Yeah. I'm alive You're the key You're the air, the air I breathe But tonight I'm choking fun fact that's totally meaningless and has nothing to do with this album so the drummer in this band uh, at this time and for most of their uh, time from 93 until 2014 Jeremy Taggart and he they had another guy uh, at the very beginning of the band and right they were just nailing down this record deal and the guy decides to leave and so they hold this audition they find this kid he's 17 years old Jeremy Taggart they offer him the gig they have a little trouble because they can't really play with him in certain places and uh, because of his age uh, he will become pretty well known. He'll work with a lot of people. He'll he'll actually play with Getty Lee at one point on a record. But when Josie Scott from Saliva and Chad Kroger from Nickelback, remember Canadian, uh, when they do that song for the Spider Man soundtrack, and they do the video Hero, you know, you know what I, you know what song I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. They need a drummer for the video, 
and they had gotten the guy from Soundgarden, Matt Cameron, and he couldn't do the video shoot for some reason. And so they called Jeremy Taggart. So the drummer from Our Lady Peace is in that video with Chad Kroger. That, that's just a fun one. You can have that for free. I, I always feel like there's typically an album in the back third, or a, a song in the back third of every Our Lady Peace record that has this like circus freakout thing. That's not really what it is, but that's what I call it. It's like, a, it's just very poppy and jovial in a weird way and there's like one of these on all of the records and and on this record it's track nine it's called world on a string see what i mean it's it's that guitar part You can hear it. You can hear it, right? Yeah. Uh, so another song I really like on this record that I also think is a little bit of an outlier, doesn't sound like the rest of the album, is track 10. And that's a song called Don't Stop. that defines most of my favorite bands is the ability of the lead singer to use his voice in unique ways that make it an instrument, which I know is sort of a cliche thing to say, but I, I think you hear this song, you hear some of the things that Rain does that are very specific to him and, and how he pushes his voice up and down, whispers, does you know, just does things that are specific to delivery and not just skill, right? Uh, and that's always been something, you know, when you think about Third Eye Blind, when you think about Our Lady Peace, Counting Crows, lots of the bands that I really admire and always have, they are defined by a singer who has a very specific way of singing and really pushes beyond just the actual skill and, and thinks a lot about execution. A couple songs left on the record. Uh, track 11 is called Walking in Circles. 
top of my lungs And like a diamond in a ring All the song you love to sing The shine is gone I'm walking in circles Circles Walking in circles I think it's especially interesting when you know about how hard fought for the songs that end up on this record are. Like, how they had 45 and they picked these 12, and how they all fought with each other on which ones were going to last. I, I like, and it's not because I don't think it should it should be here, because I think it's a great tune. But I like that Algenina, Leave the Light On, the song that closes this record, is made the cut. It is, I do sometimes think, you know, especially now, I don't think bands think as much about the ordering of their songs and how they bring you in, like that beginning of Angels Losing Sleep and how they lead you out, like the end of this song. But there is a real, I think part of what makes this album, an album that has affected me and continues to affect me and I love to listen to on road trips and I love to listen to in general, is because there's this full journey. And so it does end with this very slow sort of reflection. Fell asleep today North Ontario Woke up far away Place I didn't different here she said it's not camouflage with Never listened to Our Lady Peace before. If you only know the radio singles, if you've always been curious, even if you haven't been, if if this has piqued your interest at all, my advice is to go. If if you're not going to just start at the very beginning, uh, is is to go to Happiness Is Not a Fish You Can Catch into Spiritual Machines, and then pick up this record. There is Gravity is in between Spiritual Machines and this record. You know, you've probably heard some of it. I just think, I, I don't hold it against them. I think what they were doing made sense, but it's not the album that resonates with me. Uh, but those three are are nearly perfect, and they all rank very highly on my favorite albums of all time. But thanks for letting me talk about this one, Healthy and Paranoid Times from 2005, Our Lady Peace. Uh, this is albums that changed my life. I hope this album maybe now will become a part of your life. Check it out, enjoy it. Let us know the albums that you love. Maybe there's one you want to, you know, give your insight on or have a conversation about or hear one of us talk about. 
send us an email. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. Patreon.com slash stories is where you can support the show with your hard-earned dollar. We do appreciate it when you're able to do that. And uh, Instagram.com slash stories. Always, you can get in touch with us. Turn up the music. And until next time, keep telling stories. <laughs>